0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step by step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com ra to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com ra, or just head to the homepage and click on Courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode! Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well-Rested Podcast, episode number 19. You'll never believe the dream I had last night. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. What is the deal with dreams? Dreams are transient imagery, experienced as conscious thought, that can be considered mental representations during physiologically defined sleep. We actually dream all throughout sleep, but the quality and clarity of dreaming is much different in rapid eye movement or REM sleep versus non-REM sleep. Electrographically, we see strong similarity between REM sleep and wakefulness, which likely reflects why REM dreams seem so vivid, so lifelike, so real compared to non-REM dreams. REM sleep looks a lot more like wakefulness than non-REM sleep does. Chemically, and neurochemically specifically, REM and wake are much different, which leads to some important results of dreaming, as we'll get to. Who dreams? If you've ever watched your pet dog or cat sleep long enough, you've probably come to the strong conclusion that your precious little animal is dreaming whimpering, little movements, or facial expressions. The hard stance, that dreaming is the exclusive privilege of human-like REM sleep, excludes several mammals, including the monotremes, like the platypus, whose cortex or wrinkly brain exhibits no features of REM sleep, but whose brainstem actually does. And the cetaceans, like dolphins and whales and porpoises, who sleep only one half of the brain at a time, while the alternative half stays awake to keep swimming and prevent drowning, and who never get any REM sleep at all. This hard stance posits that unless you have REM sleep just like human REM sleep, you cannot dream, which is a little harsh for that poor platypus. The softer stance is that dreaming occurs in all of sleep, both REM and non-REM. So possibly all mammals, with brains closer to humans than dinosaurs, all mammals dream. And maybe it's just different in whales and in platypus. Since we know that humans can recall experiencing a dream in non-REM sleep, this soft stance makes a little bit more sense. That it is probable that other animals can also experience dream states in non-REM sleep. But the biological purpose, or at least the effects of dreaming in REM versus non-REM, are going to differ, as we'll explore today. Who dreams among humans? Well, it depends on when you ask. Studies show that when awoken directly from REM sleep, Most people will be able to recall some dream content, even if only fleetingly, whereas next morning recall is more difficult. One 2018 study demonstrated that about 5% of people could not recall a single dream in an entire week with morning dream journals. So, first thing after getting up for the day, they were asked to jot down any or all the dreams they could remember from the night before. Over seven mornings straight, only 5% of these adults were unable to recall a single dream. But when looking not just at one week, but an entire month, only about 0.8% couldn't recall a single dream and prompted each morning after waking during that entire month. On the flip side, only 3% of adults were able to recall at least one dream upon waking in the morning 7 out of 7 days in any given week. And how many can remember at least one dream every single day of the month after getting up? In this study, it was only about 2.5% of the adults who had the ability to recall a dream every day of the whole month. So we have a typical bell curve distribution, with an average of about 3 dreams per week per person being recalled by the morning after waking. Now there may be some gender differences. In the above study from 2018, women recall dreams about 3.3 times per week, and men only 2.8 times per week on average. Other studies have similar differences, but the overall effect size of gender on dream recall is mild. This may be due to gender-specific socialization during childhood. Perhaps we're more likely to ask little girls about their dreams than we are of little boys. Perhaps this is a personality effect. Neuroticism and creativity personality traits are both higher among women than men, and both these personality traits are more strongly associated with dream recall. Or maybe it's due to a gender difference in sleep continuity. Women are more prone to wakefulness across sleep than men. Perhaps an evolutionary childcare effect, though one could just as easily make an evolutionary threat and protection effect for men as well. But slightly more arousal among women is consistent with the memory model that a period of wakefulness during or immediately after a dream is necessary to encode the dream content into long-term memory. More awake equals more opportunity to create a memory. It does not appear to be a strictly hormonal issue, as studies have demonstrated no difference in dream recall in women according to their menstrual phase. Though on a side note, the women in the luteal phase are more than 50% more likely to have positive dreams compared to the rest of the month. However, we truly do not know why there is a difference, as small as it may be. There does appear to be a time-of-night effect. Studies indicate an increased ability to recall dreams later in sleep than in the earlier portion of the sleep period. Now we do achieve a majority of our REM sleep during the final one-third of the sleep period, but studies done in a sleep lab where subjects are woken after the first REM episode of the night and an episode of REM later in the sleep period demonstrate significant differences. So not only do we see more recall later, but the content of dream differs later as well. Specifically, when we dream closer to wake time, our dreams tend to be more emotional in content than our dreams earlier in the night. And specifically, the strongest difference is that we are way more likely to experience negative dreams later in the night compared to early in the night. A similar effect is seen when individuals track their dreams at home with more emotional and especially more negatively tilted dreams closer to the terminal awakening in the morning versus earlier in the sleep period. Where are dreams? Well, that can be difficult to answer. More broadly, however, we can see a difference in brain activity in REM sleep compared to non-REM sleep and wakefulness, which gives us strong clues about where dreaming may actually take place. Research done to answer these questions rely on functional imaging, especially PET scans. A PET scan is like a CT scan that uses a tracer, often a harmless radioactive sugar called fluorodeoxyglucose, or FDG. When your brain needs energy because it is active, it will soak up this FDG sugar. Then the areas of the brain that are more thirsty for energy because they are more active will light up brighter on the PET scan than areas that are less active, and therefore take up less of this FDG sugar. Now, I can sleep through a lot, but I don't think I personally could stay still, flat on my back on this strange gurney with my head stuck in this giant donut that's that loud. So kudos to all the brave souls that participated in these studies. But what they were able to see is that once we enter REM sleep, certain areas of the brain are turned down considerably, and other regions are turned way up. Specifically, the amygdala, the emotional reactivity center of the brain, gets much louder, as does the region called the default mode network. The default mode network is basically the ego writ large, where the me-me-me is represented in the brain. This is not surprising since most dreams are heavy on emotion and are all about me. And not just me in a vacuum, but me moving through space. You are much less likely to have a dream where you are sitting still going nowhere versus constantly navigating through your environment. And this is reflected in the brain by increased activity in regions associated with movement and planning movement in your environment. And lastly, just like waking life, our dreams are heavily visual, so unsurprisingly we see a large increase in activity during REM sleep in the vision centers of the brain, including some regions where the brain integrates visual information with other sensations like language and thought. But notably, we can also see several regions where activity is significantly less. This primarily involves a part of the brain right behind your forehead called the prefrontal cortex, more specifically the orbitofrontal cortex in the medial prefrontal cortex, or MPFC, part of the executive center of the brain. The orbitofrontal cortex helps in our rational assessment. So when this region of the brain is turned down, leaping up to the top of a building, flying like a bird, or beating Michael Jordan one-on-one in a game of hoops does not get flagged as seeming outlandish. So the unreality of dreaming can run rampant. One of the jobs of the MPFC is to act as the governor of the amygdala to help regulate our emotions. So not only is the amygdala activity cranked up, but the MPFC that should be keeping it in check is missing in action, contributing further to the strong emotionality of our dreams. What is the purpose of dreams? Sigmund Freud was wrong about so much as soon as the psychoanalytic model is held up to any scrutiny, but one area where he got it right was regarding dreams. It is true that emotional experiences and thoughts that have not yet been appropriately processed appear in dream content. Some of these emotional experiences are then transformed and integrated into your wider long-term memory, woven into the fabric of your account of reality. The context of this processing matters greatly. The emotional intensity is ameliorated by decontextualizing emotional experience reinforced by a neurochemical environment that is low in stress hormones. One of the chemical hallmarks of REM sleep in comparison to both wakefulness and non-REM sleep is that activity levels of norepinephrine, think of the adrenaline response, is the lowest of all physiological states. Meaning that naive of any content of dreams, the context, the environment of REM sleep is the least stressful of any brain state. So if you need to process a memory or emotion or experience, doing so in the low stress state of REM sleep gives you the chance to have a memory of everything else about that experience without being overshadowed by the stress of that experience. So your dream self is re-exposed to a fear-conditioned stimulus, like a phobia or a trauma, in a realistic but safe simulation of the world. I'll go over an example of this in just a moment. When you have repeated exposure to a fear-conditioned experience without the reinforcement of the unconditioned stimulus like physical pain or social humiliation because you are literally by yourself in your bed asleep, This leads to the gradual decrease in the expression of the conditioned response, the fight, flight, or freeze response. This is known as fear extinction. In other words, in a safe environment like your dream instead of your life, it is a chemically low-stress environment with minimal norepinephrine of REM sleep versus being awake with much higher brain activity of norepinephrine. In that environment, you can be exposed to memories, threats, fears, traumas, Minus the original real-life result, or fear potential result. You get to experience a dream simulation of a provocation without all the negative consequences. Your body experiences no physical pain from a dream. You are not in a social environment where you could be humiliated, outcast, or stigmatized by others. You are dreaming and so unable to hurt others physically or emotionally. You are safe in your dreams. And when you repeatedly experience these triggering memories, or parts of memories, in the absence of the real-world consequences, they gradually lose their sting. It is not the eraser of a fear memory, but the formation of a new extension memory, via associated learning in a new non-fearful context, or at least non-stressful. Your brain deconstructs a coherent episodic fear memory into isolated memory subunits, that are now dissociated from their real-world context. Your brain then uses recombinations of various isolated memory units into the novel context of a dream that reinforces new extinction memories with full emotional expression. For example, let's say you're walking down the street in your neighborhood. You pass by the house where your new neighbor had just moved in. But from the backyard out jumps their excitable dog who chases you and bites your hand, which hurts like hell and now you're scared. That night, or within a couple nights of that event, you are likely to have dreams related to that experience. But your brain doesn't just play the episode back like a tape recorder. Rather, your memory of the event is broken down into multiple memory subunits. The song you were listening to in your headphones. The shape of the crack in the sidewalk. The bright colors of the flowers in the front beds. The smell of freshly cut grass. The cloud shaped like an iguana above your neighbor's roofline the sensation of the worn sandals against your big toe, all these little elements from a diced up full memory in the blender of REM sleep and scattered about, with some of the subunits finding their way into seemingly unrelated dreams. This, number one, helps to contribute to the weird, seemingly random content of your dreams, and number two, allows your brain to associate old threats in new ways. So now you have a dream of being bitten in the hand by Ryan Gosling, whose cologne smelled like grass after he took you on a date parachuting out of a plane flying past an iguana-shaped cloud. But you're asleep, so your hand doesn't actually hurt. And the rest of the date pre-biting was actually pleasant. Then you have a dream about your cashier at the grocery store, who was actually your neighbor's dog, the same one that bit you. You are rightfully frightened, not only by the dog who bit you, but also the hiring practices of your favorite neighborhood grocer. But the dog, in a strong New York accent, apologizes for a rip he found in the box of gluten-free crackers you're trying to buy and provides you a new box at no charge. These elements of your painful, fearful experience broken up, decontextualized, recombined in a new way with other random memory subunits rehearsed in the low norepinephrine environment of REM allows you to form new dream memories new associations so that the initial fear trigger, such as the physical environment or your activity immediately prior to the event or the attacker dog itself, these triggers don't hold you captive. Your dreams free you from being exclusively bound to fear and anxiety every time you walk by that house or hear any dog bark. Your dreams allow you to process that emotional memory with the fear extinction by repeated exposure to the parts of that initial memory in a lower stress environment you have the full flexibility to move on with your life, not trapped by the bad experience. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is in fact characterized by the recurrence of the initial stress response every time you experience anything that could be associated with that initial trauma, whether the memory of the full trauma itself, or a smell or color prominent in the memory, a sound, all leading to reliving the same stress of the trauma all over again. PTSD is strongly associated with sleep disruption, and this is no coincidence. It is hypothesized that it's the loss of the normal stress disentangling performed by REM sleep that perpetuates the stress state rather than gradually declining it and eliminating it. One 2017 meta-analysis showed that the prevalence of sleep apnea among adults with PTSD was 76%. And sleep apnea is a breathing condition characterized by flooding the bloodstream with stress hormones, including norepinephrine, in response to less effective breathing when the airway muscles relax too much. Sleep apnea tends to be significantly worse in REM sleep versus non-REM sleep. And this results in the repeated periodic flash flood of adrenaline during REM sleep, rather than the typical adrenaline drought and the absence of stress hormones. When these stress hormones are added to the mix during a dream where we may be re-experiencing some of these traumatic memories or memory subunits, rather than forming new associations in a low-stress environment, instead, you end up reinforcing memories full of stress thanks to the surge of adrenaline in response to the sleep apnea. Sleep disturbances both before and after trauma increase the risk for PTSD. These excessive norepinephrine-mediated arousals in sleep apnea limit the REM-related emotional memory fear extinction and may actually strengthen the emotional memory, pushing you closer to PTSD after a trauma. On the flip side, multiple studies show that treatment of sleep apnea leads to significant improvement in PTSD symptoms, including a reduction in nightmares and a nightmare distress and an improvement in PTSD severity scales. Treating sleep apnea in those with PTSD is associated with an increased positivity of dream content, a reduction in the unpleasant content regardless of nightmares. And one 2019 study showed that after three months of treating their sleep apnea, 91% of individuals were completely nightmare-free, lending support to the notion that it's never too late to treat. So to summarize, dreams are weird. They're weird because they can feel just like real life, and in fact, your brain is behaving electrically just like it does during wakefulness. We see with imaging studies that different regions become more active and others less active in dream sleep. We become less rational, leading to the unbelievable nature of dreams. We become more emotional. But this process allows us to better emotionally process new memories, to learn through our dreams how to better manage ourselves going forward despite having strongly emotional or traumatic experiences. And when this emotional processing of dreaming goes wrong, such as the higher-than-expected stress state that comes from sleep apnea, we are much more likely to suffer severe consequences such as PTSD. However, correcting the brain's chemical environment during dream sleep by treating conditions like sleep apnea leads to significant improvement in PTSD symptoms as well as significant improvement in the character or the content of our dreams. Like far fewer nightmares and more positive dream content. We don't know exactly why we dream. And we don't all remember our dreams with great clarity the next morning. We don't even know if other animals dream. But there are certainly lots of other great benefits to dreaming, like problem-solving, creativity, and overall memory. But emotional processing is definitely a major perk of dreams. So when you protect your sleep, you give yourself the best shot at getting a great night of sleep. You also give yourself the best shot at effective emotional regulation, emotional processing, including fear extinction. So don't be afraid of the dark because it's the dark that helps you no longer be afraid. I've created a little freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrested.com slash D-A-Y. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave a review, a comment, or a question, and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.